You're listening to Vet Candy. Hi, I'm Caitlin Palmer. Thanks for joining me today. This is the Desk Winch Confession. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm Caitlin Palmer, a.k.a. The Desk Winch. A desk winch is a profession very similar to a veterinary receptionist, only better. We deal with not only fractious felines and cranky canines, oh no, we overcome their human equivalents as well, Karen and Chad. On my show, we validate vets and their support staff, as well as any of you other amazing, beautiful folks listening. Today's guest I am so excited to introduce. I've got with me today Dr. Tom Jenkins. Tom is a vet and co-founder and CEO of PetsApp, which specializes in digital communication tools for veterinary teams. He's originally from the UK and has run veterinary clinics internationally, including in China, where he met his wife, who is originally from Minnesota. He now lives in, surprise, surprise, Minnesota with his wife, three children, Shanghai Rescue Dog, and Shanghai Rescue Cat. Well, Dr. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you, and thank you for having me on. Thank you so much, and we love we love an accent. So apparently I have an accent, and you have an accent, so this is the accent show. So you've been all over the place, and I love how you started in the UK, and then how did you end up in China? Tell me that that story. Yeah, so I was... At vet school, I should have been studying for my finals. Um, and you know procrastination has reached a whole new level when you find yourself reaching for The Growth Map by Jim O'Neill, which is a book by a banker about how Brazil, Russia, India, and China are the world's emerging economies. And I thought if they're emerging economies, they're going to have an emerging middle class. If you've got an emerging middle class, Pet ownership is an expression of affluence. You're going to have a rising population of pet owners. Maybe they need some vets. So I got on Google and found this group of clinics in China and said, you know, if I ever get around to studying, um, I'll be a vet soon. Could I come and help? And they said, yeah. Did you just want to go to China or? I just worked through the list, honestly. I Googled vets in Brazil, couldn't really find anything. Googled vets in India and there were barriers to foreign investment in India at that time, I think. And then Google Vets in China and found this group of four clinics. And they were the first to reply. And um, I'd been to Asia once before. I actually went and worked in a Buddhist monastery with some tigers for a month in uh, Thailand. It was an interesting experience. It's actually since been closed down for trading in tiger parts illegally. So that, that, not so cool, but, but interesting. I didn't speak Mandarin. I'd never been to China before. I didn't know anyone there. Uh, but then again, I didn't know anyone in India or Brazil or Russia either. So it was as good a place as any. But you met somebody in China. I, I love love. Tell me how you met your wife. Oh, um, this is a funny, not so funny story. I was kind of on the lookout for someone, I have to say. Um, and I thought, where do people uh, like kind of geeky sorts like me hang out? And I went to an amateur stand-up comedy night and I'd done a bit of stand-up comedy in at university uh, we'd written a show for the Edinburgh Fringe that sort of thing but I didn't stand up that first that first night I just thought I'd, I'd check out you know what the standard was and there was this there was this girl there was this lady just laughing at everything literally anything it wasn't high standard but she had this very big laugh and she was laughing at everything I thought you know what I'm going to stand up next week because at least she'll laugh. And we got talking. I said, you know, will you be back next week? She said she would, got her number, that sort of thing. And I stood up the following week and she didn't laugh at a single thing I said. She sat, she was in an audience of about three people, bang on center, hardcore judging, and didn't laugh at a thing that, uh, that I said. And then we decided to get married and have kids and we've been happy together ever since. <laughs> That's awesome. I wonder if she was too nervous to laugh. Because I guess that could go either way. Because when I get nervous, I laugh a lot. So maybe some people do the opposite. Yeah, I think she was just judging hard everything that I said. And it was just a whole new level of interrogation of, is this guy for real sort of thing? With my husband, it was just the opposite. Because usually I would say stuff and nobody would laugh. And he actually laughed at me. And I was like, oh, my God, is this love? <laughs> and it just kind of grew from there. So that's interesting. 
Right. So what does, she's not a veterinarian, right? No, she's an elementary school teacher. So she was out there um, teaching in an elementary school. This was in Shanghai. So I spent the first year in Beijing, moved to Shanghai, opening a new clinic there. And I had this swanky bachelor pad in Shanghai, really central. And she was living on the outskirts in what we call deepest, darkest Pudong, also known as Poo Jersey. Uh, you can see the parallels that are being drawn. And it was her apartment. We ended up moving in together in this tiny, pretty crappy apartment, I have to say. And I gave up my uh, my bachelor pad. And uh, yeah, like I say, I haven't looked back. Sure. So could she not leave her job? Is that why she didn't move in with you? Because I'm thinking swanky bachelor pad. I'd be like, bye. I'm going to move to the bachelor pad. No, exactly. Yeah, this was exactly my thinking. I thought, yeah, a little longer commute, but it's worth it for the location, for the for the furnishings even. Um, but no, no, exactly that. She could walk to school from where she was. And uh, and honestly, I was traveling quite a lot by that time. So we had clinics in Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Suzhou, Nanjing, which are all cities I'd never heard of before I went to China. But each of them is sort of thousands of miles from the other. So I was traveling a lot anyway. So so some of the, the British foods are not ideal, but we'll talk about that later. So you moved into the, to the tiny crappy apartment and then did you... <laughs> I'm sure in red, I'm sure like the memories in that apartment are good though. Like it's it's it was probably a little home. Some and some. Yeah. 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 I mean it's the, all the all the guests that you have to stay on your futon and the dog and the cat that you rescue into your tiny little apartment that that really make it home, I find. So tell me you so they're Shanghai you have a Shanghai rescue dog and a Shanghai rescue cat. Are these the originals or are these the OCs? Yeah, yeah. So they're very well traveled. We then moved to Hong Kong because we we had some clinics in Hong Kong that I was managing. And um, when we left Asia, we thought we were heading straight to the US. And we just made a stop off in the UK to kind of show off the baby because by that point we had had our first kid. And we shipped the pets ahead of us to the US and then changed our minds and said we're going to do a little stint in London. And so they had to be flown back to London and Surprise, surprise, here I am talking to you from the US. And yes, they've come along with us there as well. So they've racked up the racked up the air miles, that's for sure. Bless them. So how did how did you end up with them? I know another kind of listed as rescues. Where do they have a, a fun story or Becky, my dog, I was in the clinic and this client came in and working through a translator, they said, you know, I've rescued these two puppies. And I said, Oh, okay, that's great. Let's get them, you know, let's get them a check, let's get them their vaccines, whatever. And she was like, no, they're yours now. Here you go. And I was like, well, we're not, we're not, we're a vet clinic. You know, we're not a rescue center. I'll help you the best I can. But, you know, if you've rescued these puppies, there's more to it than just bringing them to us. Yeah. Yeah. Try to sort of gently try to point that out as you do. But the uh, reply was, um, if you don't take them, then I'll leave them outside your door tonight. And then if they're still alive in the morning, they'll be your problem at that point. I said, okay, I'll take them. <laughs> so, so we did. And one of them was a super cute, I think you guys say Cottonelle puppy, maybe, or in the UK, we say Andrex puppy. Um, just really, really cute puppy. And one of them was kind of ugly. And we had found homes for both of them in the, the same day. And the first people came to pick up the cute puppy, took it home. The second people came to pick up the slightly ugly puppy and said, no, thanks. And I was... <laughs> closing the clinic for the night and I just heard and um, me and Anna my then girlfriend now wife had said had discussed whether we would adopt one of these puppies and she kind of said you know with the crappy apartment maybe not now not the ideal time but I took Becky home anyway I said well we can always take her back is that salesperson's technique right of her we can, well, we can always take her back but she's here now and um, of course, we we kept her. Which this is quite a journey for Anna because on our first date, she actually clarified to me that she didn't really like animals. Really? Oh wow! Okay. And she was, you know, I think she was just trying to get that out of the way in case that was a showstopper because I kind of do like animals. Just casually built your entire career around them. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I said to her, "Have you ever had a pet?" And she said, "No." And I said, "Okay, well, there's hope. There's hope." That's why you don't like them because you've never had them. Exactly. Whoever said familiarity breeds contempt, I think I got it, got it wrong. Uh, then a few months after that, I came home and she had adopted a, a stray kitten. She was, you know, I'd been on out on a night out and came back and there was this cat in our apartment. And so I knew that whole sort of turnaround on this, I don't like animals thing was, was complete. She was, she, she's an absolute convert. Yeah. 
be right back with more Vet Candy. If you're like me, you want to improve your skills. And for many of us in the veterinary field, that means improving your surgical confidence. That's why Vet Candy created a master course in surgery. The master course provides veterinarians and veterinary students with focused education on surgery. The program is taught by a board-certified veterinary surgeon and delivers a thorough evaluation of the science, surgical environment, and skills needed to create and maintain a surgical practice. And what's even more exciting, the course is free and also provides race and New York State approved continuing education credits. Plus, when you complete the modular program, you receive a certificate of completion and exclusive marketing tools to celebrate your accomplishment. This program is brought to you by PRN Pharmacal. You can start taking it for free today at myvetcandy.com surgery. It just, I have so many clients, and I'm sure you've seen this too. They're like, you know, oh, I don't like cats, or oh, I, I only like cats. I don't like dogs. And you just have to meet a good cat or a good dog, and you'll love them just as much. I, yeah, I agree, agree with you completely. In fact, our cat is more dog-like than our dog, and our dog is more cat-like than our... Becky's a bit of a basket case, and Addie's just an absolute flirt, so... Oh, sweet babies. I love... Ugh. And, you know... It's okay to have a, a, a favorite one or the other, but when I think about my two most precious pets, one's a cat, one's a dog, I couldn't choose between them. I'm like, do I like cats or dogs? But I, I, I don't, just give me, just give me an animal and let me pet it. That's all I want. I agree with you. For the most part, although the lockdown definitely brought me into conflict with my cat, I have to say. He was very easy to live with until that moment. And in the lockdown, I just realized he wanted to be everywhere I wanted to be. Any place I'd sat, I would get up for all of two seconds and he would be there. And it was incredibly frustrating when you try and work from home and all this sort of thing. And he does the whole like, you know, the making cookie dough thing. Like he does that with his claws, making biscuits, that's it. And um, when you're trying to get on with stuff, it's, it's not cute. So I realized this whole work from home had, been, had put real strain on not my relationship with my wife or my kids, but with my cat. We needed, we needed some, some recourse. We needed some arbitration. Oh, my goodness. You, so you've been all over. You know, you've met people of, of all kinds. What are some of the craziest clients you've encountered? One client was just very straightforward and candid with me. And you, you try and be a grown-up about it, but you kind of are laughing behind your clipboard. He, they just recounted that this couple just came in and a very young couple came in and they recounted this tale of the brilliant night out. They'd gone to a club and well, I'm thinking, where is this going? They'd gone back to his place and they'd, um, you know, things had progressed and they'd used protection and he'd thrown it away in the bathroom bin, in the bathroom trash can in the morning. The bin was kind of gone through. The cat had knocked it over and gone through it. And the, the consequences of the previous night's activities were no longer present. Yeah, I had to take him through the options in terms of dealing with this particular foreign body. And and uh, he, he elected for observation. And I just remember coming in the, the next morning to the, the hospitalization sheet with a, um, with a clip and a little bag with a used condom inside it that the, the cat had vomited up and the, the nurse had very kindly uh, preserved for me to, to share with the share with the client. That is so funny. Oh my gosh. But you know, I kind of appreciate when clients are up front like, hey, my dog ate ate my uh, devil's lettuce and it's like, oh, okay, good. So we can we can treat that. We know what we're dealing with. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure I needed the whole preamble. Like I think the night could have started a little later on rather than sort of following them through the club. Although, what else are you going to do with the back-to-back uh, -back consults and seven surgeries and et cetera? And it's so funny because sometimes, and I know they do this to you too, people have to tell you their life story before they get to the point of why they're here. So I think to an extent, we kind of just dissociate while they're telling us this story. And then it's like, oh, wait, that is part of what's going on. Okay. Maybe they just didn't want you to think they were trashy, you know? They just think, you just think about the five other cases that you're dealing with, don't you? <laughs> and then try and be present back when the, 
a key a key moment come. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's so, but you know, I'm sitting here going, wow, they must not have had too much going on in that trash can to notice that specifically was missing. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Trying to pick apart how, how they came to their diagnosis. Another one was, I remember in my veterinary finals in the oral exam, you really started to get nervous when you saw you'd been allocated the pig expert because you tried to get away without revising the pig notes right it's like cows cats dogs should be all right but no i got the the, the pig vet and um, to do my large animal viva the oral exam and i remember trying to persuade her i already knew i was going to to shanghai at this point or beijing and i remember trying to persuade her that a companion animal vet in sort of a big city probably didn't need to know that much about pig medicine and she was like, mm, you'd be surprised. And my first week in Shanghai, someone brought me a micro pig to, to treat. Luckily, I did pass and, and, and she had a point and, and that was fair enough. But micro pig was one of the first patients I ever treated as a vet. And they have. They've gotten so popular, even down here. Almost every day I get somebody call, do y'all spay pigs? I'm like, no, we, we don't. This clinic does, though. I know pigs are a lot more complicated than than your dogs and cats, aren't they? I think it's just a whole new thing, isn't it? It's a whole nother thing that you've got to you've got to know about. Hence, not wanting to revise that particular set of set of notes. So, to get through vet school, to do all that you've accomplished, you have to kind of have a, a go get them personality. Do you have any productivity hacks for people? Because I know, for example, when my alarm goes off in the morning, I'm like, no. What gets you going? What makes you persevere? Yeah, I, uh, it's a great question. And I'm always interested to learn this stuff. I am one of these people that looks at other people's productivity hacks. But I would say I'm not a creature of habit. I don't like anything becoming routine. So I don't have a super strict regime. You know, some people, like, I get up at 4 a.m. and I drink the lemon water that I prepared yesterday and all this sort of thing. That's not very me. I would maybe do it once and be like, mm, that's nice. What's next? But one thing I do do and I'm a father of three kids I run a company so it's busy right but every day it's almost like it's almost sacred I take a bath I have a long bath not a shower a a bath a bath yeah exactly not a shower to me if I go to a hotel and they only have a shower it's it's a real disappointment I've not reached the diva status of like not booking in if there's no bath and sometimes you look at the bath and you think I better not but most days as far as possible I'll take I'll take a long bath and it's just because it's it's something that is uninterruptible. You're there and you can't do anything. You can't sort of jump out of the bath and deal with something. I don't sort of use my phone. I might have a podcast or an audio book playing, but, but it's just this moment for sort of unstructured thought. And so everything that's happened the previous day, everything else, you're just sort of knitting together and processing. That time for me is the bath. That's real. That's real good. And I know a lot of people do like the guided meditations and stuff, just a chance to kind of stop and come back to center and anything that has been bothering you, like you said, to process it. Yeah. And I, I did discover sort of mega bath, the bath power up, which is the, these isolation pods. And so they're completely, it's complete blackout. So there's no light, no sound. It sounds um, Epsom salts in it. So you float. And they keep the air temperature the same. So really differentiate where the water stops and the air starts. You're there. And it, as a parent, sometimes you just want to sort of lock yourself in a dark cupboard for an hour. And that's basically what it is. It's perfect. That sounds like the sensory deprivation chambers from uh, Stranger Things. Exactly that. It's exactly that. Yeah. Do you have one of those or do you just you have to go somewhere to do that? I think it would be dangerous if I did. Would I Would I get out? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, where's Dr. Tom? <laughs> yeah. Or someone would put something on the lid to stop me getting out. No, uh, you can, yeah, there's like different shops, I guess. I don't know even what you'd call them. Uh, isolation pod places. <laughs> it's just like a, like a spa kind of where you go. Like it's a service that they offer. Yeah. And it, it, when you go in there, you feel kind of out of place because normally I'm quite high energy and I just want to get stuff done. And you go in there and they're trying to be all serene and super calm. And I'm like, it is, is that productivity thing. I'm like, how quickly can I get this done? <laughs> get in, get out. Done. So did you always know you wanted to be a vet or did it kind of come later? 
always, always, for as long as I can remember, it's just been wrapped up in my identity, I guess. Here's Tom, he wants to be a vet. And I remember someone gave me a cuddly toy when I was maybe three years old. I still got it, my kids have it now. And I didn't know whether it was a gorilla or a monkey. And so he's called Gila Monkey. And because, again, someone realized I like gorillas, the mountain gorilla is my second favorite animal after humans. Um, someone let me watch um, Gorillas in the Mist way too young. I must have been like seven. And spoiler alert, Diana Fossey gets hacked to death with a machete at the end. But Diana Fossey was like my absolute idol, absolute hero um, growing up. Not a vet, but um, I used to say I wanted to be a zoological veterinary surgeon um, in my more precocious moments. But yeah, that was, that was always the ambition. Yeah. Oh, I love Sigourney Weaver. She's, oh, she's the best. She's excellent in it. Yeah, she's very, she's very good. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso, and I'm here to tell you about my new show on Pet Candy TV. You can learn all about how to take the best care of your pets. Stream at My Pet Candy 24-7 on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms. My husband always jokes. He says, you know, she's looked 30 her whole life, but now she's older, and she... <laughs> She still looks 30, like she's just going to be 30 forever. I'm like, you know, that's kind of life goals. I'm trying to think what the last thing I saw her in was. Could be as far back as Avatar. I don't know if I've seen her in anything recently. Yeah, that's what I think, too, is Avatar. She was the voice in Finding Nemo. And, yeah, like she was the aquarium voice, I believe. And then, of course, she's in Aliens. So, like, the best, best sci-fi movie ever. So, very good one. Uh, what is the most important, in your opinion, the most important traits, personality traits someone would need to work in, in this industry, in the vet med industry? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> because I think a lot of what we're facing in, in the, the veterinary professions right now, a lot of it does come down to selection, like selecting the, the right people to come into the, the, the sector, or at least preparing the people for what it's actually going to be like, like reconciling this sort of childhood dream and the, the naivety that comes with that and, and should come with that. There's a, sort, a certain amount of idealism that is, that is healthy, but also sort of preparing people for, well, this is what it's like. You know, it's going to be part of your identity, but hopefully not your whole identity. And it is a job. Um, I think that is a big part of it is having other interests. I think one thing that creates some of the problems that we have is if your whole sense of self is wrapped up in your veterinary identity, I think that can lead to a lot of struggles because veterinary medicine is messy and at times it's a struggle. And if that's if that's all of you, some of it links back to Diane Fossey, to be honest, where quite early on, a lot of us who have been super passionate about animals for a long time you almost buy into this culture of martyrdom. You know, part of what I admired about her is she actually gave her life in the service of animal welfare, right? And it's almost this thing of nothing's too much to ask for these beings that can't speak for themselves. But actually it kind of is, you know, we've got to have a life outside of it. We, we, family's important to those things. So are those those people I see on holidays? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those, those, those people that sometimes go other places. I think I, I didn't do a great job at the whole sort of work-life balance, work-life synthesis, whatever you want to call uh, call it, uh, in the start of my start of my career. But I did always have this sense of self beyond being a vet. Luckily, um, uh, especially sort of established that through vet school. And I think that is a, I think that is a very positive trait. Trait. I think it can maybe the answer to your question is um, resilience having some amount of resilience and um, not having your whole identity tied up in how successful you've been as a vet today and on this particular day uh, is helpful to that to that resilience. And then it's, it's contingent on the rest of us to try and reduce the amount of resilience required to have a career in our profession. You know, I love this profession. I don't want to have to be coming on a podcast saying, yeah, you have to be pretty resilient to be a vet. It would be better to just say, yeah, it's all lovely and roses. And much of it is. Much of it is wonderful. Um, but I think if you're, like I say, if your sense of self is too wrapped up in the ups and downs of it, um, that it can be a struggle. I've seen people struggle with that. Sure. And it is, it's such a, I don't know if emotional is the right, I guess emotional is the right word, but our profession, it is, it's so 
I mean, people love their animals and we love them too, or else we wouldn't be here. So when something goes wrong or you mess up or one dies or it's just, it's, it's hard and we take it personal. Yeah, we, we sure do. And I think, I think that's part of doing um, a good job is being invested in your patients is part of it. It's not that it shouldn't hurt at all. It just shouldn't be everything. And, and, and you're right. There is an emotional roller coaster that we go on. In China, there are a lot of parvo puppies. That's never fun. You know, yeah, a lot of a lot of parvovirus cases and the outcomes there, despite your best efforts, aren't great. And you put a lot of it lot into it. And you also kind of think, you know, you spent how much on this dog and you spent how much on their collar and their grooming job and we didn't get them vaccinated. Come on. Like so there's that that can be dispiriting. It's a highly emotional journey. I remember also I was opening new clinics. These are the kinds of behaviors that it's like a big part of pets app is trying to help people not set these kinds of expectations. But when we were opening new, new clinics, everyone had my cell phone number. So I remember doing three emergency call-outs, having worked, you know, the previous however many days, including one electrocuted cat, which was super harrowing. And then uh, waking up to a can't, can't complain because they tried to call me for an emergency and they'd not gone through. But I'd been on three emergencies that night. Um, and so we didn't have the right systems in place. We didn't have the right tools in place. You know, that wasn't me really, other than the part that I should have had the right tools in place, the right systems in place, but there wasn't, I couldn't take that to heart and be like, you know, I need to be all things to all people. And I think I've seen some colleagues and even me at certain moments, we do do that and we do take it to heart when we shouldn't. And we remember the, the bad experiences. And that's, that's dangerous, I think. It is. And, you know, even just working up at the front desk, I can have a hundred people be so kind and wonderful to me. But the one that fusses at me and belittles me, that's the one that stays with me. And it's our brains are just wired that way for whatever reason. So it's like, ugh, just be a nice human. Um, no, yeah, no, no time for that. Like just rudeness for the sake of rudeness sometimes, isn't there? And um, But then again, we have to change the narrative a little bit of most of our clients love us. And I think we do bring some of it on ourselves. That's important to, because acknowledging that we realize we can change it. So because we're so passionate and because that nothing is too much and because we want to go above and beyond, we sometimes set expectations sky high. And then when we fall just short of those super high expectations, we're surprised that the client is disgruntled. But it's our fault. We've trained them to expect like the world. Um, If we could just set expectations more reasonably for ourselves and consistently exceed them, the clients would be delighted and we'd feel good about them being delighted. A member of my team thought they they were helping out the new grad by letting the pet owner know he may be incompetent, but he did come on, come in on his day off. They didn't say he may be incompetent, by the way. That's, that's me. But, uh, <laughs> I'm sitting here going, oh, my God, do they still work there? Because uh, I don't think I would. <laughs> no, they, did. they didn't say that. But they said they're trying to buy me some sort of goodwill with a difficult client. And they said he came in on his day off and he hand fed your anorexic cat some, some tuna or whatever it was. And from then on, Anytime that client called, if I wasn't available, they were kind of like, what do you mean? Isn't he there hand feeding my cat tuna 24 hours a day? Like, What, what do you mean he's not available to talk to me? Um, so I think we, we mismanage these expectations. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so sweet, though. I don't want to say simple because I don't mean to be insulting, but that's such a simple idea. But it's so good. Just not set the bar. Oh, we're excellent all the time. But we're people and we do our best, but sometimes we're the, like the best thing ever. And I think that's so smart. Yeah. I mean, have you heard that one of you should answer a telephone within three rings? Someone wrote that down somewhere. I don't know where, I don't know who came up with that, but every team I've managed, I've trained them. We must answer the phone within three rings because there could be a animal in desperate need on the other end of that phone. And we can't see down the other end of the line where well, we set that expectation. But the truth is most of the time, it's not urgent. Most of the time, it's someone asking about your vaccination prices or ordering some mm-hmm. medication, which is fine and it's important, but it doesn't require you to have interrupted the person you're in front of. It doesn't require you to to miss your lunch break. It's, it's not that kind of urgent, but we set that expectation up for ourselves and, uh, and you get to wondering why at some point, I guess. Inevitably, no matter how wonderful you are, and you sound like you're just such a good doctor, I would bring my cat to you. I would expect you to hand feed it tuna. I think I think at this point I'd, I'd be dangerous, Caitlin. I haven't practiced in a, in a little while, so um, I think emptying anal glands is all you could trust me with. I think. Oh my goodness! <laughs> 
do you ever think when you're expressing anal glands, are you ever like, I have so much higher education and this is what I'm doing? Never. I always think, what a joy. It's fun. I think a lot of it's get in it for the pus and the blood and yeah, the cute animals, but all that, all that stuff too. It's not fun when you get it in your mouth or anything or someone else's mouth. That's never fun. I've never had it in my mouth. I've got anal. Okay. So little story time, little sidetrack here. I, uh, when I was first learning how to do anal glands, I was working in the kennels. And so every dog I would bathe, I'm like, I'm doing your anal glands. And one, you know, like, you're like, oh, I've got to do this and I got to do it right. And I got to do this and this and this. And I was like really concentrated and I'm like looking and it got right in my eyeball and it burns. Fun fact, anal glands burn your eyeball. Not good. Not good. No, I think um, it is a funny one, isn't it? It's like you're, you're doing a, super serious consult and they're like oh and by the way can you empty the anal glands it's it's just kind of your parting shot it's your encore the vet me encore so you you had just said that you're not you haven't really practiced you're you're doing more telemedicine now at at this time and running your your company which is pets app i again personally i don't do any telemedicine we we make the software that enables the vet me things to basically digitally enable the vet clinics so they can offer this joined up online to offline experience. And it's not about replacing the physical exam with a virtual consultation. It's about trying to make the pet owner experience really great, but also trying to improve the vet team experience. So instead of them having to answer the phone within three rings, they can see a chat that's come in, prioritize that chat at a glance and manage that being a bit more control of their own workflows. So really, my time is spent yeah, building software, building tools for, for vetting teams. That's, that's what I spend most of my time doing. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Quincy Hawley, and I'm here to tell you about a new show it's Vet Candy Rounds with the Hollies. That's right, Dr. Tierra, the love of my life, and I have teamed up to bring you the most fascinating cases in the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or a podcast platform of your choice, only on Vet Candy Radio. And that's really the future. I know it's my job to talk to people on the phone, but when I'm reaching out to our online pharmacy or wherever to get help, I go to the live chat. I would I don't I don't want to talk to people any more than I have to when I'm working. So Yeah, yeah, some and some, right? We always say so every interaction on Pets App starts with this automated welcome message. And one of the things we encourage the clinics to put in their automated welcome message is what you don't want pet owners to use Pets App for. And that's often emergencies. So the phone is a great tool when the pet issue is an emergency, right? We can we can prioritize you and that's it. And there are some people that just will always use their phone, right? But for 70 to 80% of clients, if you provide them with a widget on your website, a web portal, an app, SMS text, they will prefer to use these ways of interacting with your, the same CSR team, the same sort of front of house team, but just interacting them in a way that that team has more control over. And you see on the App Store reviews, you see people saying, you know, I'm glad that the, the Tibetan team can get back to me in their own time. I'm glad I'm not sort of disrupting them dealing with an emergency or, or, or things like that. Right. So I think if you give pet owners the opportunity to uh, be considerate of us, they, for the most part, are very considerate, considerate of us. I know we'll get people that'll call and we're we're busy i mean i I know you you know this there's you know we've got three lines they're all ringing i've got emergencies in the back i've got a walk-in i've got you know this dog in the back is crashing and someone's angry because they're put on hold because they don't remember what time their appointment was for it could bypass a lot of that wait time for you know no you're 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 bang on that the best way to turn a non-urgent issue into an urgent issue is to put them on hold so this is a non-urgent issue, but you kept me on waiting on hold for three minutes. So now it feels super urgent. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, instead, if we could deal with you asynchronously, if we could deal with you digitally, you're walking around getting on with your life and we get back to you in our own time, letting you know when you're, you know, the example you gave there is perfect, Caitlin. You don't need to know what time your appointment is. 
any sooner than your, you know, just with enough time to get to your appointment, basically, right? It's not, it's not an emergency. So we can deal with that at a time that suits us. Right. When you were practicing, did you have people that their, their pet, I mean, obviously, you know, everyone thinks their pet is the most important pet, but have people think that their dog needing a nail trim is more important than the dog that just got hit by a car and got run to the back? Oh, I remember you asking about uh, clients previously. I remember this lady that brought her dog in for a groom and said, have the vet vaccinate him at the same time. And I said, asked the team to try and get in contact with this lady and said, it doesn't really work like that. I need to ask you some questions about your pet and I need to do a physical exam. And there's a, there's a consultation that I need to go through before we can give the vaccination. We couldn't get hold of her on the phone. So when she arrived to pick up her dog, I hadn't given the vaccination yet. And so I sort of invited her into the consult room. It's a vaccine. I, I wasn't being laborious about it. It's super quick. It's just a couple of questions and a quick exam. But I'm not just going to jab a dog that I don't know anything about. And um, so she proceeded to lecture me on um, she'd, been keep, she'd been keeping dogs longer than I'd been alive. And who was I to lecture her on how to look after her animal? <laughs> it's just a very simple case of no one in particular. I'm not anyone in particular. But I am the guy that you want to give this vaccine. and I'm not going to give it unless you let me go through these steps, which are going to be super quick. And it's taking longer because you're deciding to berate me and my team. Um, and I think maybe you should just leave. And Yes! It does sometimes come to that, um, where you, you're just not going to get on the same page with someone. And there's some things that you just can't compromise on. Obviously, I wish that pet, if it needed the vaccine, which I didn't know because I hadn't seen the vaccine record, I wish it could have had the vaccine, but there's a standard, right, that we have to hold ourselves to. And there's a standard that we have to hold other people to as well. And if you're not willing to step up that standard, then no dice. But uh, yeah, so there, there are people that want to want to jump the queue and that sort of thing. But again, I would say people are super reasonable for the most part. And we are a really well-respected profession. And uh, I remember before we built anything at PetSap, we surveyed pet owners, asked them various questions. And... One of the, some of the questions we we're trying to arrive at is like, what do you think of vets? What do you think of vet teams? And um, this person wrote about the beautiful relationship they have with their vet. And I just thought, what a privilege to be in a profession where someone would describe it in those their relationship with you in those terms. And so I think most people are animal lovers and they know that we're what we're here to help animals. And they know there's a whole, you know, whole range of different situations that we're going to be dealing with. And most of them are respectful of that. I think we're just not always good at giving them the tools to be respectful of that or setting the expectations right that that manage those expectations ahead of time in what can be quite emotional um, scenarios, right? So I have to ask, since since you've moved, and this is totally off topic, but since you've moved to the States, do, do you still drink tea or do you drink coffee? I'm actually drinking tea right now. You see me jumping on mute every, every so often. I'm, I'm drinking tea. I have two cups of coffee in the other morning. And then it's tea the rest of the day. and But that could be as many as sort of six, seven cups of tea throughout the rest of the day. Okay. Okay. As long as there's coffee in there, I can't understand people in vet med who don't drink coffee. It's kind of our life's blood. It's just what we live on. Yeah, yeah. You need the coffee to get started. And then the, the tea is a nice just top up of caffeine as the day goes on. And I do now switch to decaf before bedtime. I never used to. And I thought um, decaf was the devil's work. Um, but I've been I've been persuaded in terms of quality of sleep, et cetera, that it's good to good to make the switch after it's quite late, like after after dinner, I'll, I'll, I'll switch to decaf. Sure. I like to drink coffee after I eat, too. So that's maybe that's a good idea. But I, I'm still in the death before decaf stage. So I'm, I'm getting there. I'm maturing as a person. No, it does. It does seem slightly pointless. But yeah, the, I think the caffeine is, is its effects have changed as I've got a little bit older. Sure. So you have accomplished so, so much. It's really very amazing. That's kind of you to say. And now I'm thinking, what what, what have I? <laughs> well, you've done a lot. Like you're, first of all, vet school, like who can even do that? That's, that's incredible. And you've traveled, you're a CEO, a co-founder. You have this whole digital communication application and it's, very widely used. I mean, you're really, you're helping a lot of people. It's reaching a lot farther than just where you are physically. Yeah, that's very kind of you to say. And yeah, I mean, that is 
the sort of I'm a typical millennial in that I'm motivated by impact, right? <laughs> we all just want to we want to we want to have an impact, whatever that means. And yeah, it is it's nice to see um, us helping thousands of veterinary professionals, hundreds of thousands of pets. It's it's you know since we really launched the product two years ago, it has taken on a life of its own. And over the pandemic and over some difficult times, it, we've seen it you know protect people's jobs, protect their livelihoods. At times, that's been cool. Maintain animal welfare. That's been really cool to see. So yeah, I'm unashamedly proud of it, and I'm proud of what we're achieving. Great. You should be. You should be. Working from home sounds, oh, that sounds so good. It's a mixed bag. It depends on the day, whether you're glad that you haven't seen many people or, <laughs> or if you wish that. Yeah. That's fair. I already don't know what to wear if I'm not wearing scrubs. I'm like, I guess scrub bottoms and a t-shirt. Like, I don't know. What do people wear? I don't know. It, I think it depends how many cups of coffee you've had. As to whether, that's, yeah. that's fair. Oh, I was just gonna say, I've only had one cup of coffee, but I had an energy drink too. So I think I'm okay. Oh, I don't, I don't mess with energy drinks. That's hardcore. They're not good for you. They are not good for you. Yeah. And they're not good for you. No, we do have an office. I I am seen in the office ever so occasionally, but uh, yeah, working from home because I've just, just on the recovery from, from COVID. So um, yeah, it's nice to have the flexibility to work from home, especially with the kids. One thing I really loved about lockdowns was being able to do a call like this, have fun on something like this, and then just go through to the living room and, and wrestle my five-year-old and my three-year-old to, for, for 15 minutes then come back to the next call. And no one's any the wise of than your hair's a mess, but my hair's always a mess. Oh, so. how sweet. That's wonderful. So normally I do a would you rather, but so it has come to my attention only just recently, literally, that the UK has some interesting food. So I'm, I'm going to ask you if you've ever had these. Have you ever had stargazy pie? Ever had what? It's called stargazy pie. It looks like a pie and it's got fish heads and it's terrible. Literally never heard of it. Never heard of it. Are you sure someone's not made this up and just put it on Google? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Okay, haggis. Have you had haggis? I've been vegetarian for 15 years and I have only ever had vegetarian haggis, which is certainly not the same thing. I can't claim that it is the same thing. So yeah, I've, I've been to many a Burns night, but I've never had haggis. Oh, wow. So for anyone listening, because I didn't know it, I thought haggis was like mutton or something, but it's a pudding and it's made from sheep, heart, liver, and lungs. And it looks like bad grits. It don't look good. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of I think it is kind of like that. Yeah. I've heard it tastes like cat food, but who, who was the sort of Venn diagram of people that have had haggis and people that have had cat food? I, I don't know. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know, it kind of does look like that old school ID, like grainy cat food. Maybe, maybe that's all that is. I, just, I think we're offending the whole of Scotland at this point. But um. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry, Scotland. I love you. I love you. Okay. What is Sussex Pond Pudding? A boiled cake with a whole lemon inside. Yeah, again, I'm at a loss. I do, I, what I will say is I do love British food. And I know this is not a view generally accepted across the globe. We're not known for our cuisine, but I do love British food. Everything I've ever had, I've, I've liked. Okay, mushy peas, that just kind of sounds like it would be anywhere, though. That just kind of looks like green. I, I, I never liked them as a kid. As I got older, maybe. You re- they really come up when you're having fish and chips. So at a fish and chip shop, you might get um, curry sauce. I get curry sauce on my chips. Some people might get mushy peas. Uh, yeah, vegetarian, yeah. So um, the classic fry-up, that's the classic British breakfast. They call it a full English. Um, yeah, I can get I can get super passionate about food, Caitlin. So Indian food is kind of my favorite. I'm a little obsessed. What kind of curry do you like? Oh, okay. So and, and the UK is really good for curry too, especially where I grew up in Leicester in, in the Midlands. Lots of good curry there. Oh, hard to say. I love a bit of paneer. Uh, again, being veggie, having a bit of paneer in it helps. That's the potato stuff, right? It's, it's the cheese stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like cubes of yeah, soft cheese, I guess. Um, some of the dals, like the lentil, the lentil stuff. I like, actually, there's, um, when my wife first found out she was pregnant, um, we were at an Indian place in Hong Kong. And she ordered chicken tikka, 
she meant to order chicken tikka masala. And chicken tikka is just the chicken, that dry. Chicken tikka masala has sauce. And when they, when they served her and she realized her mistake, she burst into tears. I was going to say I would have cried because chicken tikka masala is my favorite. Yeah, she was, she was, she was yeah, disproportionately upset, I would say, um, about it. But no, yeah, love Indian food. Um, I, I would say my experience in the U.S. is not great with Indian food. I'd say uh, Mexican food, fantastic in the U.S., but um, Indian food, obviously, you're best off going to the source in India, but the U.K. is not, UK's not bad for that. No, no, the U.K. sounds sounds gorgeous. So how did that work with, and I'm sorry, going back to like professional stuff. I mean, I, I would rather talk about food. But um, going back to, to that, so you did you get licensed for your veterinary license in the UK? How did that work when you were changing countries? Yeah, I qualified. I qualified in the UK. Yeah. So I actually did a lot of my sort of pre-vet work experience in the US, um, in upstate New York, but I qualified from Cambridge University Vet School in the in the UK. And then when you moved to the United States, how did that work with your licensing? I've never practiced as a vet in the US. I'm not licensed to practice in, in any of the states in the US. I'm just um MRCVS, a member of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. So that's so cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that we have. We, it's kind of cute that we still have Royal Colleges. But no, I, I never did the Navali or, or anything like that. So what do you think? So there's some shows. They want to know, have you been binging Inventing Anna, Tinder Swindler, Pam and Tommy? It, Pam and Tommy I've had recommended to me by Brad, head of growth at PetSap. Um, he's in charge of all the marketing. So I'm going to check that one out. Tinder Tinder Swindler is that is that a TV show? I've seen that come up as a as a hashtag, but I didn't. I believe so. I kind of live under a rock, so I'm not too sure. <laughs> no, what are we watching at the minute? I just oh, they're started, Netflix shows. They're Netflix, Netflix shows. shows. I just started John Adams on HBO. It's a bit slow, but I'm a big fan of the the musical Hamilton. And I thought it might like. Give me some more founding father vibes. Give me a, a dose of that because um, I, I just like that period of time in history. Find it interesting. What else? We've been going through the Star Wars films with my five-year-old son. We started with episode one, two, three, four, five, six. I was never a big Star Wars fan when I was a kid, and I think you know everyone sort of berates those the episode one, two, three that revival. I thought it's decent. We're on episode four now, sort of halfway through. He's loving it. It's, it's good enough. Well, how fun is that to pass that down to your children too? Things you liked. Yeah, it, it, it started with, again, us sort of beating each other up. So someone gave him a lightsaber for a birthday or Christmas or something. And we've done lightsaber battles regularly since then. And so I thought, oh, he might like, he might like Star Wars. We're doing Harry Potter. He's into Pokemon. Yeah, all that nostalgia. is only five though. So we're going to run out of stuff. He's going to have to find some of his own stuff to like. At some point, isn't he? I've never met your child, but he's he's awesome, and I love him. And he's gonna just do so many cool things because he likes so many cool things. <laughs> they also want to know about if you've seen The Reacher, which is on on Amazon. I feel terrible. Like, no, I don't know these things. I'm gonna write them down. Though. I'm gonna write them down. And I'm gonna check them out. I thought I was a bit of a, a binge. No, the show that got recommended to me most when I moved to the US was Ted Lasso. It's an American football coach who's brought over to be a English football coach, an English soccer coach, right, in the Premier League. And he brings all his, it's like all his kind of quaint American ways and all our cute British ways and kind of a culture clash. But it's also about how we all love each other. And yeah, it's a good show. It's, it's funny. So another current event thing, um, what, what are your thoughts on the Britney and the free Britney movement, Britney Spears? She's free now, right? Isn't she? That's all that's paid out. I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. It's been a journey, though. Oh, my I, God. No, I'm glad for her. And I am, like, just this big Americanophile. Like, I love America so much that I married an American, right? And um, it's because I grew up at, in that time of just America being the coolest thing ever. You know, the Friends, Britney Spears, all that good stuff. So, yeah, I mean what a ride she's been on here you can only you see people like that and you can only you can only imagine to have that amount of fame and that that amount of success and talent um so early on and then what that does to you um yeah just i think wish her the best 
Yes, absolutely. Are you going to buy your book when it comes out? Uh, yes. I say yes. I do like biographies. I do. Like, I, I really do like a biography. But they, um, yeah, they, they tend to be about um, people long dead. So there's a bit of history involved. So um, long may Britney be with us. Right. Yes. Our queen. I love Britney. And you know, the older I get, the more her shaving her head all those years ago starts to make sense, doesn't it? It's like There is a Friends episode where they persuade Ross's girlfriend to shave her head, right? And so it's it's slightly reminiscent of that. I mean, it's it's a little bit late on trend, but you do your thing. There you go. And that's that's a trend now. A lot of women are shaving their heads and it's some some people really rock it. My problem would be I think that I would have a like lumpy head. You gotta do it. You gotta do it once just to find out. Otherwise you never know. Otherwise you never know. I shaved my head on a trip to Barcelona once. And um I've not done it since, but at least I know. I know now. Okay, guys, give me a million followers on TikTok. I will shave my head. This is it. <laughs> Give me a million TikTok followers and I'll shave my head. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Vet Candy IRL is an exciting podcast from the hearts, minds, and mouths of Shannon Gregoire, Tatiana Rogers, and Lexi Rodriguez. The show celebrates inspirational role models and focuses on empowerment and equality. Check it out on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and more. Dr. Tone, this has been so fun. If our guests or if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, where can they find you online? So you can head across to petsapp.com forward slash clinics where we have a, a blog and um, you know, I've written blog posts and posted webinars on there. I'm on LinkedIn. So Tom Jenkins. Tom is spelt with an entirely unnecessary H. So it's T-H-O-M Jenkins on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to sort of, of, the, of the social media places to find me. Great. And we'll link it in our show notes as well. Nice thing. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Tom. I really appreciate it. This has been so much fun and I have learned so much. Thank you. What a fun conversation. Thanks for having me on. I love your show. This has been a fantastic show. Thank you so much for joining me and thanks for listening. I love sharing these stories with you. If you enjoyed the show, please hit that subscribe button. You can always find me on Bet Candy and TikTok at DeskWinch. Until next time, make it a great day. It's Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.